As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, May 2nd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Eno looking more rested than usual for a Monday. And are you caffeinated? You don't drink coffee. What did you do? Did you drink some of that mud water stuff that's been going around? <laughs> no, it was just a good weekend. You know, I took the kids to uh, the San Jose Giants and uh, they did the bouncy houses and the throwing of the balls. And the, they were actually, you know, I... I I wasn't sure. Like one of the things I told them was it might be a little bit more fun than the Stanford games we go to because they do more things like in between, uh, in between innings, they have more like sort of game type things. And then I was worried that they weren't going to do fun ones that day because they do different ones all the time. And, uh, they did hilarious ones because I think they're mostly hilarious and the kids loved it. Like one of them was a non-alcoholic run and beer chug. And, uh, it was amazing because, uh, the, the, it was two dudes and a lady and the lady got to the table last and there was a guy who got there first. She opened it and chugged it and beat them both and then flipped the table and like, <laughs> it was like, Wah! and the whole crowd was like, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that was pretty sweet. And it just, just, it's a fun overall experience because they, they think about what it is, uh, to take your family to a game. So. Cheap t- cheaper tickets, you know, thirty forty buck t- tickets. I mean, people might say that's more than they expect, but you know, I think you get what you pay. Like it's good. Like there's there like there are bouncy houses and there's like the games, like carnival type games, and the beer is pretty decent and the tacos were good. So uh, there's some barbecue, but I was making ribs that night, so I was just gonna gonna double up on the barbecue that day. But it was a good good day, good weekend. Had to take them to see Sonic too, which. Sometimes you do things for your kids. I think that's, yeah, that's part of parenting. You Sometimes you, you sit through <laughs> movies that you don't want to watch or you rewatch things that you've seen 20 times already. I think that's the, when they're real little, that's that's the thing I gather from uh, from my brother with his kids. Try not to let them see me checking the box scores on my phone while during the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a quiet thing to do. You're not disrupting someone else's We're enjoyment. We're like the, movie, the only you? people in the in the in there so <laughs> yeah no you're okay then 
Yeah, but uh, yeah, good good weekend. They they got some Magic the Gathering cards and uh, were screaming at me about you know what elementals or this or that they got in their pack and. So I think the kids had a really good time. We did some, and you know what? You know, one thing that's cool is they're getting back into uh, throwing and hitting. Nice. So a lot more catch, and I love catch. Yeah. That's Are awesome. you a throw catch or play catch guy? I'm a play catch guy. I'm a play catch guy. People say throw catch. Mm, have a catch. Have a catch is you know it's kind of an old expression designed for that specific purpose but play catch is just the way people speak english generally when talking about that activity yeah but i'm not i am not the foremost expert on the speaking of the english that's okay we we enjoy learning (laughs) more about your process and you know it's as long as we're having fun while we're doing it i think that's all that matters we had a couple brats we had some some beers over the weekend too so you came over that was good yeah we had a little chance to to talk about some some of the stuff that actually made it under the rundown. I think some of the model versus re- the results stuff uh, actually came up because deception is a thing that might not be fully captured by things we're looking at. But we're going to talk about hitters today that have struggled through the first month and one day of the season because uh, we get a lot of questions that are basically, what's wrong with this guy? And what's wrong with this other guy? So we've compiled a list of some of the biggest underperforming hitters. We're going to run through and see if there's anything that's alarming for the long term, how much the expectations might have changed in some of these cases. We'll talk about some of the fallout from rosters shrinking down. It's a lot of players getting moved. Uh, Robinson Cano was DFA'd. Josh Lowe was optioned. Willie Calhoun was optioned. And now he wants to be traded, which I think I can understand, you know, given his trajectory in Texas and a few other questions to get to over the course of the episode as well. So we'll go through this in a, a similar light with pitchers, probably on the Thursday episode. So if you're saying, oh, I want, we want you to talk about pitchers that are broken, we'll get to them. We're going to keep it hitters and pitchers separate. I want to start with Marcus Simeon because I think of, of all the players I was looking at, he might be the, the earliest player ADP-wise that people are truly worried about. And something you said on the show probably two or three years ago, might have been the first year we were doing the show, is you said you looked at uh, O-swing percentages for hitters on new teams with big contracts. And you saw pretty consistently, right, there's an an increase. There's an aggressiveness that happens, at least initially, with those players. And it makes sense from a basic psychology perspective, right? You sign this massive contract, you go to a new team, and you just want to prove I deserve this. I earned this. I can I can be that player. I can be the seven-year, $175 million player that you think I am. And I think that definitely is happening right now with Marcus Simeon. When you look at his O-swing percentage at 33.6%, it's easily the highest it's ever been since he became a full-time player. It's up about eight percentage points over last year. And there's something off in the underlying numbers with how hard he's hitting the ball when he makes contact. The... The former doesn't worry me too much. The O-swing percentage being up is not as much of a concern as the significant drop in the quality of the contact when he makes contact. Strikeout and walk rates are about where they've been. Um, so how concerned would you be about Marcus Simeon if you either had him on your roster already or if you were thinking about possibly trying to make some kind of buy-low trade to get him? Yeah, the, the the term that I came up with was pressing, you know? And, you know, I think that's 
describing what he's doing right now. And, you know, not only people with big new contracts on new teams, but people who are traded at the deadline. So I found that that was kind of uh, maybe a useful thing for teams, like to think about the fact that we're going to trade for this guy. We want him to have really good natural play discipline if he's going to be worse, almost by, you know, at least not by definition, but like by as a group, whoever we trade for at the trade deadline is going to be worse at play discipline <laughs> for whatever reason, for pressing, for maybe, you know, seeing new pitchers he hadn't seen all year, that sort of deal. Uh, but uh, it was Chris Davis and um, who was the uh, Jay Bruce, Chris Davis and Jay Bruce were kind of my way in. They both uh, really pressed. Chris Davis really pressed when he came to Oakland. And Jay, uh, Jay Bruce, who has a pretty good eye, uh, pressed when he was uh, traded to the Mets, I believe. But, you know, I see the same thing with Simeon. And I do think that they're kind of related, you know. Um, if you're if you're reaching at, at pitches outside the zone and you're making contact with those instead of the pitches you want to be making contact with, then, you know, that could be the cause of your lower hard hit rate. You know, I just talked, I'm doing a big piece about plate discipline right now uh, that should come out this week. And I just talked to Juan Soto about it. And he was just like, dude, the, the if you hit the ball inside the zone, you get way better outcomes. And I mean, he didn't say dude, and he didn't say it this way. <laughs> we all wish that the conversation you had with Juan Soto was him talking like you to you. <laughs> Yeah, that's not how that went down. Well, he was he was awesome actually. Like he's <laughs> he was perfect for the piece. It was worth all the all the work uh, just to get three minutes with him. But he basically said, if you just see the difference between production on pitches inside the zone, and outside the zone, he said he didn't even he's he's not like Brandon Nimmo where he was trained to to be an OBP god. Brandon Nimmo, his dad is like throwing him colored balls and telling him to shout out what the color on the ball was and what the number on the ball. You know, Barry Bonds this type stuff where like, you know, that's why he has great plate discipline. Uh, Juan Soto, you may not, maybe surprised to hear, uh, just decided to be Juan Soto. Isn't that great? <laughs> like he's, he said he was a free swinger. And then in high A, he was like, oh, wait, that's what the production is on pitches inside the zone versus outside the zone? Okay, I'm not going to swing it. Pitches outside the zone. Bam. Done. <laughs> just, okay. It's just that easy. So I could just decide <laughs> that I'm going to be Morgan Freeman, and I'm just going to narrate everything from now on. Like, for the next 50 years, that's that's what I'm going to do. And I just decided one day that's what I was going to be. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, that's why you see the higher swing strike rate for Marcus Simeon. I think that's probably the cause of his lower barrel rate, because if you look at the max exit velocity, which has never been really good for Simeon, it's right in line with where he's always been, you know, right on the line of, you know, I would say that he has, you know, 45, 50 raw power, maybe just 50, you know, it's not, you know, I know he hit 45 homers last year. But there, you can do that with 50 raw power, especially on a peak season. And, uh, you know, if, if max exit velocity is a good measure of raw power, then that would, that would be around 50 raw power. Um, you're seeing the hard hit rate down. You're seeing the barrel rate down. Uh, he's a compiler, though. And uh, maybe selling low makes sense, but I, I don't see the dropping make sense because I think he'll play all season. He'll have a, a better streak at some point where he settles down and isn't reaching as much and chasing as much. And I, I still think that like something like 2018 is possible. 
where he hits for the season 260 with 15 to 20 homers and 10 to 15 stolen bases. I know it's uh, not what you paid for in terms of in the draft, and it's not maybe what the Rangers were hoping for, but still, still a pretty good player. The projections for the rest of the season are pretty consistent across the board when you look at all the stuff over at fan graphs. I think the the bat X is where I keep going for in-season, rest-of-season numbers. Yeah, 247, like 319, 427 is a slash line. I'd still probably be on the over side of, of those numbers rest of the way, but even if that's what he is with 20 homers, 10 steals, you know, plenty of runs and RBIs, okay. like you're You're disappointed if you took him in the third or fourth round, and that's what he did. But if he bounces back to that, it's also that's not the reason why you fell short in the league this year. Like there's there's enough to believe it's going to still come back around. I mean, he's swinging more at everything. And I think that will correct in the the months ahead. I'd be very surprised if we talk about Semyon again in July and all these underlying swing metrics look identical to how they've looked so far. Yeah. And it's funny. 180 power, 180 ISO right there from the bad X is would be like 45 50 power in a, in a, in a regular season like in in past seasons um do you know what the iso is right now across the league the league's iso yeah it's like 130 yeah nice good call 138 it's because i've looked at that page with the the average obp and the slug so many times it's just yeah it's committed to memory at this point 2019 the i the average league iso was 183 and that's including pitchers let me do non-pitchers wow yeah non-pitchers it was 187 that year so i like part of me is trained to look at a 180 iso and say okay that's league average power you know mm-hmm. um but it, it is worth discussing the, the you know the humidor the ball the fact that 138 um you know like the april let's look at the april uh numbers for 2021 for iso we had a 161 so it's i mean it's definitely down and uh and i will say that i know that these people that are modeling these these projection systems you know they're all talking to each other and they're all they're all trying to figure out how much to change the run environment right now. And it's not it's not entirely not entirely clear. So my point is that if Simeon doesn't hit 20 homers, then it's mostly because the whole league is not going to their expectations. Like, for example, you cannot use X-Wobo right now for a single player. Because, first of all, it's not that amazing, but it is it does have some predictive power for batters. But right now, they have to wait to a certain point in order to adjust it. They always adjust the ex-wobo for the season that they're in once they they think they know enough about the run environment. And they haven't done that yet because it's such a crazy year and we don't, we don't know what the run environment's going to look like. They don't want to adjust it so that, you know, basically 130 is league average ISO. And then the humidors kick in and start drying the balls out and, and August is a crazy month for power, you know. So uh, everyone's sort of, you know, trying to figure this out. I, I'm not saying that ball and humidor is why Simeon has no power. I'm just saying that, like, if he hits 15 more homers the rest of the season, it might not be because of, you know, a failure on his part. It may just be a combination of ball and bad season for him. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge drop, though, compared to where he was. I realized 45 last year. we had the max volume problem with Marcus Simeon again 
and that's a good yeah, problem to have. Yeah, 724 plate appearances last year. I mean, the last three full seasons we've had, he's only failed to play in three total games. So you've, you've <laughs> gone over 700 plate appearances in each of the last three full seasons. Even if you're adjusting down for that, you'd say, okay, maybe it's a low 30s home run total with normal injury risk baked in. Well, you change the ball, you add a couple of, of things early on in the season that make him different. It, it starts to compound pretty fast. So it sounds like you're you're mostly on that projection that I threw out there with maybe a little less power. I think the 20 home runs is something you're pretty skeptical of at this point for a rest of season power number for him. I mean, we're looking at, uh, let's see here, 70 balls in play for him because he puts balls in play. So this 4% barrel rate that he's got right now, you know, it's it's more signal than noise. And he's had 4% barrel rates in the past. That's why I point out he had this exact same barrel rate in 2018 when he hit 15 homers. And that was before the rabbit ball. So, you know, 2019 rabbit ball, 33 homers. 2021, you know, not the rabbit ball, but also Dunedin and Buffalo. So... He had some park assistance last year that he does not have now. I mean, it'd be weird if he was the perfect storm of the unusual circumstances of Toronto's 2021 and the 2019 rabbit ball spiking up that home that home run total to 33. He had 27 way back in 2016, though. Marcus Simeon's always been uh, a bit of a challenging player to completely yeah. completely solve. Look how up and down he's been. I mean, he always will get you about 10 steals in a, in a full season, but, you know, he's been pretty up and down offensively. I, I mean, I still think that it's not a bad signing uh, for Texas because if you – like, it's funny how up and down he's been for fantasy because he's basically been league average offensively except for the two big seasons every every year. So if you get a guy, you're like, hey, he works really hard – uh, he's he's got good defense. He's gonna be worst case scenario league average bat. Then you feel like you're you've you've acquired someone who has a high floor, and you've obviously seen high ceilings from him, and uh, you, and you like his durability. So if he's only like a two to three win player for the next uh, three to four years, uh, I mean that wouldn't be good for the contract, but it, the Rangers might take it. It's not ideal, but it doesn't hurt you as much as you might think. Right? The big numbers right. on the contract make you think a little differently about what you should get in return. But what you need to get in return is about what you described when you're talking about what Simeon's contract looks like. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Let's get to Whit Merrifield for a moment. I've looked at his profile, and I think the only thing wrong with Whit Merrifield is that he's on a few of my rosters, and that's why he's underperforming. <laughs> There's really nothing in the underlying numbers that scares me, though. He's still keeping the K rate under 15%, walking about the same as usual, actually making hard contact at a good clip, more than he has at any point during his career. I, I think this, to me, is just a slow start for, for a guy that will be fine as soon as he has a little better luck on balls in play. Yeah, I guess I'm not too worried. I mean, the, the league, the the swing strike rate being the worst of his career is not great, but the strikeout rate that's associated with it is right in line with his career numbers. So maybe it's not that big a deal. I don't think he's a very good hitter. Yeah, I've never liked the profile as a hitter, but I think he's still going to play a ton, still going to run. So I don't know. Three, three, is it three attempts? Let me see. Here. He's three for three through 20 games. Three for three. Can't steal so base when you're not on base. He's got a 213 yeah. OVP so far. <laughs> That's right. But if it's if it's only three for three in the first month, then what if he only steals you, you know, 22 bags this year? So now it you're talking about a guy who might end the season 260, 22 bags, five homers. Don't put that's that like, on me. Well, that's what people want out of Nicky Lopez. Ah, come on now. What? No, that's fair. I, it's okay. that... <laughs> I just it's not nice. I'm sorry, but you know, I I I have zero shares. I have uh, I did not want to pay. I I just I you know I've said on this on this cast. I if I do have a bias, sometimes it's towards like what major league teams are looking for and like what and and what is a good hitter for a major league team because I do think that baseball teams tend trend towards making those same decisions and making the right decisions that way right like we don't have a lot of old school teams the royals are like the closest to an old school team that would you know would value whit merrifield highly give him an extension and uh you know i'm sure that you know other most other teams around the league would would have treated it differently would have probably traded him away at this point yeah well they got him in such a team-friendly deal it just doesn't doesn't matter doesn't hurt them at all even if they were to somehow reduce his playing time but i've seen it before looking back at some of his month-by-month splits he played 31 games last year and they obviously lumped september and october together on fan graphs so a little extra but two for three as a base dealer that month last july five for five in 24 games i mean it, sometimes these oh things does he just, just have big months yeah yeah he hit some sevens eights had an 11 11 steals a, last august so maybe it has to do with uh who he's who he's facing yeah, uh, because supposedly uh, stolen base attempts are are kind of uh, become meaningful early. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm not looking at anything with that organization from that perspective and believing they've changed. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you would change with a player like Whit Merrifield anyway. Like if they were really changing, he would be traded because they mm-hmm. say, well, we're not going to do this anymore. So let's trade him away to a team that actually wants to let him be himself. So. Not worried about Whit Merrifield whatsoever. Um, I'm curious about Randy Arozarena, though. I think he's the type of player who, because of his approach, we've talked about his willingness to swing at a lot of pitches outside the zone in the past. I think that makes him very susceptible to highs and lows. It's just the, the type mm. of player. He is a little bit of a free swinger. Walk rates down early. K rates in line with career norms but a 35.2% O swing percentage would be the highest of his career by a margin about as much as Marcus Simeon's O swing percentage is up right now. Tons of ground balls right now for Randy Arozarena mm. as well. Uh, his projections point to a 245 
average from the bad X the rest of the way, 15 homers, 17 steals. Are you comfortable trying to move for him right now, expecting something like that? The projections also have him striking out less than he has struck out since the start of 2020 the rest of the way, and I'm just not sure where that's coming from. Uh, because he's struck out 28% of the time in every season he's been in the big leagues, and yet everyone's projecting him to strike out less. That is weird, huh? And he's 27. It's not like it's an aging curve thing. Is there a little bit of the early 2019, like the debut with the Cardinals cooked in there, and then, yeah, minor league track record? This is That's weird to me. I think he's going to strike out a lot. Uh, the There is an interesting piece of thing we haven't talked about a piece of research and evidence that we haven't talked about in a while which is volatility and bill petty had this idea of sort of tracking a player's volatility and you can just look at sort of the you know if you look at those rolling graphs with the with you know with weight on a base average ops whatever you can see the kind of you know the 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 peaks and valleys yeah the amplitude the amplitude basically right and um you know, you did some research on that. I found, I found, uh, I asked him to do an aging curve on that. And what was amazing was that players over time are less volatile. They, which means that they have lower peaks and that's what we associate with, uh, aging, but also the players that stick around have higher floors. Right. Um, but how does that, uh, then the other, the, the other finding from volatility, uh, was that strikeout rate is so associated with positively correlated with volatility. So, you know, you know, having a high strikeout rate leads to volatility. And I think you can understand it in one way, which is just a, basically, this is how we define productivity. And of course they have, they have bad days because what you're talking about is when he's striking out and not making contact, he's very bad. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the then when he uh, you know when he does make the high, hard contact, he's productive for your team. Like it's almost by definition, um, you know, strikeout guys are going to be volatile. But he doesn't add the walks, so he doesn't add like a you know a level of okay. Well, at least he's taking his walks right now. At least he has a three hundred and ten OBP or something. You know. Uh, so he's super volatile, but how do you treat that in a projection system knowing this guy's volatile? Because maybe this is just his really bad stretch, and then he's going to have another Randy stretch, right? <laughs> I think this is one of these things. I, I pull up uh, charts like the one. It's on screen right now if you're watching us on YouTube, and it's the 15-game rolling Woba. Oh, I was just going to play there. Yeah, there you go. So it's up on the screen right now, and it's when does this chart scare you? If you're looking at a Rosarena, you know, you see a nice spike kind of in the second half of last year, and you see a few dips that are pretty similar. You see two dips from last season, very similar to the dip that he's in right now. So this is in the range of, of normal, air quotes, I guess you could say. But I don't know. Like, I, I think when I see more valleys than than peaks, I start to get a little bit worried. And I think this would be a case where I'm... I'm more worried than optimistic, even understanding the type of player or having a what I think is a pretty good understanding of the type of player that Randy Arosen, Arosarena is. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I put uh, ground ball rate up on that one, uh, on the same graph. And the peaks in his ground ball rate almost exactly map for his troughs, nadirs. So when he's struggling, it's because he's hitting the ball on the ground, largely. Yeah. So you see that first, uh, that first sort of the post uh, 2020 hype, the beginning of 2021, that little, you know, down, downward spike there. Mm -hmm. 
That uh, is the other time that he hit 60% ground ball rates. Then that next uh, nadir, that's the, really the bottom, or game 80 of 2021, that's when he was hitting 55% ground balls. And now he's hitting 65% ground balls. He's in another trough. So uh, the, when I liked him, it was because I thought he had, there you go, awesome, <laughs> Look at that. on the fly. So you see what I'm saying, right? There is a, you know, I, my my theory is not one thousand percent correct because of this this area here in game one forty where he was hitting some ground balls and was being productive. But my my Randy Rosarena theory is that he has basically a swing for power at the top of the zone, and then he has a swing that he can make contact at the bottom of the zone. And you know, if he could if he could toggle that switch at the right times then he can have like that postseason run, right? Because then he's doing the he's he's hitting the at the top of the zone for power and he's doing just enough at the bottom of the zone so they feel like they have to go to the top of the zone, right? But right now, for whatever reason, they're just they don't feel like they have to give him anything at the top of the zone. Maybe maybe he's reaching at pitches outside the top of the zone, right? So they don't have to come into a good spot at the top of the zone. And they're just throwing him fastballs way above the plate and breaking balls super low and he's He's not doing enough on either. His pull rate has spiked as well. He's up over 50% with his pull rate. Normally, he's closer to the low 40%, 42% for his career now as a big league hitter. So I don't know. Just the, with the volatility, though, it's this weird part where I'm like, yeah, man, he could just get hot. We've seen it. Do you think that it's, it's over? Like the raw, the max EV is the best it's ever been. Like the raw power is still there. I don't think it's, it's like over. an approach problem. I, I think, I think, the, I think what you're seeing right now is a good explanation in why the projections are not buying the average in particular. I think, mm -hmm. well, I think volatile player, I think low average, because at least a low average potential. And the projection systems are sitting in the mid 240s to low 250s range for Randy Rosarana. That makes sense for me. Yeah, 15 homers the rest of the way. No argument there. He's been running. I think he's the kind of player that as long as he's healthy, he runs. He's three for three this season. At 20 bags last year. I'm buying the rest of season numbers with more K's than are projected because I I think 28% is the true talent strikeout that's rate that he's showing. Like he's, that yeah, seems very clear to me. So I just 28, 28, 28. <laughs> so I guess if you maybe you got to dial the average projection down a little from what the projections are spitting out. Maybe. Yeah, but I think it's 230, 240 with. Good power, good speed, and and good counting stats. And unless we think there's some kind of path for him to lose playing time, they have plenty of talent. He's not the kind of player that they're so committed to long term. Because they don't really have players like that where it's impossible. But I think he'd have to play like this for another thirty games before it would actually start to cost him significant playing time. Yeah, I mean they need him. It, you know, it it strikes me as a, a it's interesting. I think that all three players that we've talked about so far are are buy lows but not not buy lows like oh i'm gonna buy you know the 280 2020 version i'm gonna pay that much for him right i think that one's that's out the window like with with, with merrifield i'm not buying him at you know 290 homers if that's the price i'm out but if i can buy at these lower numbers at the projected numbers for all three of these players i feel like you're still, especially if you need steals. Yeah. 
like I think this is a decent time to go buy any of these three guys because I think they will all three of them end up with you know I think maybe Simeon's only sort of 10 to 12 steals but you know if you want to group them as a group 12 to 25 15 to 25 steals you know as maybe maybe an average for the three of them around 20 steals that's useful a lot of people are looking for steals you know I, I would buy these three guys but I wouldn't want to buy it at preseason prices like they would have to come down off of whatever they were expecting out of these people yeah the draft day equivalent is not what you're going to send back as part of a swap to get any of those players I would say of the three the one who is most likely to hit his initial projection is still Merrifield for me yeah of those three yeah, he's not. He just not striking out, and he was never a guy that was about power. So you know, if you're worried about the power, like you know, he was projected for seven for some of these seven homers for some of these guys. You know, from some of these projection systems. We're on pace for like a two-hour episode. So uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 turn it up. Come on, Cattell Marte. What's going on with him? K rates way up at twenty-five point five percent. Walking less than we're accustomed it's awful. to. This is the one I might not buy low. Nothing looks good. He's not hitting the ball hard. Uh, his his hard hit rate is down. His bail rate is down. His max EV is down seven miles an hour. We in max EV is one of those things where it's not necessarily bad if he hasn't shown it yet. But he's got sixty three balls in play and he hasn't hit one over one hundred and ten. This is the guy that used to regularly do that, you know. So I'm just not seeing it. The the K rate is bad. The swing strike rate is bad. The reach rate is worse than it's ever been. Like, I don't think I'm buying him because, and what part of it is he's not going to give you any steals. So if he's not going to give you steals and you're not sure about the home run, I mean, the the average at 26%, I'm not sure about the average anymore. The projections are 270. What if he only hits 260 with 15 homers and three steals going forward? That's, I'm not buying that. I, I think this... I don't know if he's a dropper because he can still play second base, but uh, you know, if somebody wants to buy him, I'm listening. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, a, a ten-team league player that you you really don't want to cut, but I would say he's probably more in that Brian Reynolds group where you look at him and you're like, this is just strange. He shouldn't fall apart this quickly. And it's but a he's killer. He's so far away from the core skills that we're used to. And it's really killer in fifteen-team leagues where you're like, well. Yeah, no, 275, 15-5, that would still play in my league. I still I should keep him if he's going to do that. And it's the same thing with Reynolds. It's like, okay, I should probably keep him in a 15-team league because, you know, even this reduced level of sort of 270, you know, 20 homers and three steals or four steals from Reynolds, that's still going to be – that's still worthwhile of keeping in a in a 15-team league. But it also is just so hard because you're not getting that yet and you still have to, like, wait for the – mediocre numbers <laughs> and you're looking at all these other guys out there that are like you have great numbers like eric hosmer man should i have eric hosmer on my team instead of Kittel Marte? don't do that to yourself just don't uh, i think trent grisham is kind of interesting right now because he in the shortened season showed some skills that maybe nobody expected right the hard hit rate jumped during the shortened season Barrel rate doubled over what we've seen throughout the rest of his time in the big leagues. He's underperforming even his normal barrel rate, his 19 and 21 barrel rates right now. So a lot of questions about who he is as a player. Not surprisingly, worst hard hit rate of his career. He's still walking, and the K rate's not way out of bounds, but it is worse than it's been at any point during his time in the big leagues. Uh, still doing well, though, with that O-swing percentage 
and still giving us raw speed, sprint speeds in the 92nd percentile. So maybe there's a little bit of a, well, when you get on base at 292, you're not going to run as much. So some of the missing steals are there. But I think there are fair questions to ask about Trent Grisham's power since 2020 wasn't a full season and nothing in his barrel rate has looked that good at any point since that season. Yeah, I don't know if I if I see superstar potential. I did see superstar potential in him after 2020 just because the barrel rate was great. And even in a small sample season like that, you know, it was really great to see a 200 ISO from a guy who has a great eye and stolen bases. So I did, you know, think that Grisham had superstar potential. But now we have three seasons of a basically average, mediocre-ish barrel rate. So I think that he's you know, like a 170 ISO, 160 ISO guy, you know, I think that's, I think that's just who he is. So I, without him changing his approach and maybe going and getting the ball, maybe he could do a Robbie Grossman-esque second part of his career where he goes and gets the ball out front and becomes more aggressive. And then, you know, has a season where he hits 25, 30 homers uh, with this new approach, but he's not really showing that approach right now. And it's one of the weird places where I'd almost want the O swing to go up because I'd want him to be more aggressive and try to hit for power. But as he is right now, I think that he can still be a guy who hits 235, 240, 330 on base percentage. And, um, you know, maybe now only about 15 homers. And since he hasn't even attempted a steal, uh, I'm going to say maybe only 10 steals. Uh, I think the steals are more likely to come back than the homers. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I really do. I, I think uh, as a lefty hitting in that ballpark, too, I think that works against them a little bit. Much easier for a righty to hit home runs in San Diego. So I think that that fuels a little bit of the skepticism. Yeah. Is he too passive? Is he is he too too willing to to work the count and, and end up and ends up in situations where you know, he just doesn't drive the ball because he's he's taking pitches he could hit? I, I really I don't know if that's the case. There's there's just this there's this this interesting conundrum at the intersection of plate discipline and power, which is just that power exists mostly at the front of the plate. In terms of I don't know if it's swing mechanics or if it's just you know how it's how it, well, how it happens. Maybe it's because those, that's where you pull fly balls is in front of the plate. But in terms of hitting for power, home runs exist in front of the plate, and so you can actually, despite the fact that. You know, plate discipline is positively correlated with everything, power, you know, walk rate, production, you know, you know, swinging less is good for you as a hitter, reaching, you know, chasing less is good for you as a hitter. There's this paradox where power still exists out in front of the plate. So the best players find a way to be aggressive selectively, right? And so, you know, to 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 get the ball out in front once they swing. And so the fact that he has such a great eye means that he's still a guy that could turn that switch and figure it out. That's why I mentioned Robbie Grossman, right? Robbie Grossman, this looks like Robbie Grossman before he had the power surge, right? Doesn't he look kind of look like Robbie Grossman? 100%. This is almost the same profile. Robbie Grossman stealing more bases early in his career. That's basically what Trent Grisham has been. If you were taking Robbie Grossman as a top 125, top 150 player, Earlier in his career, I guess the difference, though, is playing time. Grossman was always stuck on the small side of a platoon. Grisham's at least as a lefty on the big side of a platoon. So he catches more playing time. And that's why we keep thinking it can fall into place for him. 
you know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, maybe in a different team with a different hitting coach or a new in a new season, like it doesn't it it doesn't seem likely that he's going to go undergo the Robbie Grossman um, in season. Right? <laughs> like he's just going to like start being more aggressive this ne- this next week. You know? Right. So. More more of a player to get at a lower price in a future draft season than someone to try and get right now hoping it's all going to fall back into place. So actually a Not probable a terrible guy if you're like rebuilding or something in Dynasty to maybe try and get, you know. Yeah, I think I think that makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, let's talk about Jesse Winker for a moment. How about a 197 340 237 line to begin his time in Seattle? Uh, barrel rate way down from what we're accustomed to these last two seasons at least. Uh, max exit velocity not too far away but a tick down from where it has been as well but the good news the k rate down at a career low walk rate up at a career best so i think most people who have jesse winker on their team are looking at those numbers and saying he's coming back to expectations sooner rather than later isn't he I think so. It's a, it's a really bad combination for him of the ball changing, the humidor situation, and going from one of the friendliest parks to one of the least friendly parks for offense. So, you know, uh, there's probably a lot of people taking victory laps, uh, talking about how far he fell in their projection systems or in their rankings. You know, once it was the trade was announced, uh, but he's not this bad. You know, he's I I I, I still see that raw power in the max exit below. Um, I, I think that, uh, there's, there's still a certain amount of pressing that, you know, this could be reverse pressing <laughs> where he's just like, I'm not going to swing at anything until I feel comfortable. Uh, but the, the, the bad news is that that underlying change in projections because of the park factors and everything still exists. So he still is probably more a 260, 20 hitter, uh, 20 homer hitter than uh, maybe some realize. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Let's move on to a couple other names here. Franmil Reyes was one of the players we were asked about. What is happening with Franmil Reyes right now? 
I don't. I, I this is this is a little bit in the vein of the Rosarena like volatile player. Like, isn't he a guy who just goes white hot at times? He has an incomplete approach at the plate and uh, not great bat to ball skills. But when he's going, he's going to hit mammoth home runs. And I, I don't know. I still think he can get to thirty homers this year. If you saw a chart of his rolling K percentage and it had never been worse before. Would that change anything about how you feel about a bounce back? <laughs> yeah. I mean, a swing strike rate is pretty high too. Um, a little bit. It's unfortunate that his defense won't give him a spot in the lineup, even if he's struggling this bad. I mean, how much longer do does Cleveland give him before they start? I don't know. Playing him only against lefties. That would be awful. Uh, fair question. Don't think we're quite there yet. But, uh, man, I'm looking at the multi-year by game. I just wanted to see how, how bad this K-rate is compared to his previous norm. Oh, yeah, he's, ne- he's, never, he's never reached this level with his K-rate before. This is on the rolling chart. Uncharted territory on the, the rolling graph for Franmil Reyes' K-rate. So... Yeah, is it possible that he could bring it back down? Sure, anything's possible. But he's also not walking. It just yeah. something's messed up. Something's very broken with him in a ten-team league. Probably droppable because I think you can find high K percentage power guys. You can yeah, find that profile. 25, 30. Like yeah, there's got to be somebody we can we can come up with even that might be out there for you. Maybe Max Muncie, our next guy. Well, yeah, Muncie. Muncy's Muncy got my attention because Max Muncy, based on rest of season WOBA projections, is one of the better hitters in the NL with the bat X. And I'm I'm trying to make sure that this isn't a case where Muncy's just not healthy because he had that elbow injury. And for me, one thing that would cause him to underperform his previous levels in terms of the quality of the contact he's making is if he's simply not healthy. As it stands right now, he's got his the lowest hard hit rate. Amazing. Lowest hard hit rate is a Dodger, but the barrel That's rate's still true. where it needs to Max be. Max exit velo is the lowest it's been. Max exit velo's down. Walking more. I, the, uh, this is the thing I worry about with with a player like Muncie. I'd much rather have him than Reyes, though, dude. Oh, it's not even close because you're talking yeah. about a K rate at twenty percent instead of one north of forty percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, I guess the the thing I don't know is can Max Muncie become fully healthy again on the fly in season or would he need an IL stint at some point or will he need more time off or in the will off it season? just be like he'll be better next year <laughs> right those those are the questions I, I, I'm not so the I'm looking at Muncie and I think there's a good enough chance he's fine because there's more there's more stuff still intact than broken but I'm also not buying in all the way at the I just changed the entire fortune of my team because I got a, a top 12 hitter in the National League by Woba. I don't know if he's necessarily going to get all the way back for health reasons. I wanted to check because I'm actually a little bit below where I want to be in in homers and power in, in a lot of my leagues. And this is relative to other people, so it's not just the whole league being down. Like right. I picked I picked a I maybe picked a fair amount of guys that had a, had good power and speed, right? That was my approach was to like get like these 25 homer, 10 stolen base guys. A lot of those guys, right? Maybe they are hurting 
more than the guys who have no doubt power. So I, I and also given that the ball is the way it is, I wanted to test the assertion that hey, you if you want to get rid of Fran Mill, you can. There are other guys out there. So I have loaded up our ten team league, uh, the 3-0 show Invitational, uh, which is helpful for us because it's a ten team league. And I wanted to look at the best options on the wire real quick uh, to give a sense of what we might do. Wisdom. Yeah, Pat- Patrick Wisdom's like the prototypical strikes out too much, never had the Fran Mill Reyes level of success, but keeps playing and doing what he's doing despite this problem with the K rate. And might outdo him in, in, a, in a given season, you know, just because of whatever. Um, he's also striking out a ton, but. At least he's hitting for power. Um, Sano uh, on the IL. Um, Kepler is available in our league, and I would pick up Kepler maybe for Frommel. You get a couple more steals instead of homers. Uh, Voigt, Santander. I still I still believe in Voigt to a certain extent. If he was coming off the IL and Frommel was still striking out 48% of the time, I think I might j- make the jump to Voigt. I think Santander is a good one to pick up. I, you know, that that park is going to not going to end up being the number 1 pitcher park in baseball. I know that there's some park factors out there that suggest that, but I just <laughs> I think that's probably an overreaction to the to the first month. Um, so I don't know. Do you Seth Brown, Carlos Santana, Dobby, Bobby Dahlbeck? Would you rather have Dahlbeck than Fran Mill? Dahlbeck could lose time to Tristan Cassis. Like the way he has started, he's left the door open for Cassis to come up and play. And that does not bode well for Bobby Dahlbeck. I think I still, compared to most of those players, would rather wait and see with Fran Mill Reyes. Mm-hmm. A little longer, which could be to my detriment. I say this a lot. This is what bench spots are for. You don't want him in there right now? Great. You got five or six bench spots. Use one of your bench spots on Fran Mil Reyes until he shows signs of life. Maybe look at the calendar and say, hey, he's got you know three matchups against lefties coming up in a particular week. Let's use him then. And then just try to be a little more selective about when he cracks your lineup as a result of what we're seeing right now. I mean, this this week he's got one lefty, six games, one lefty. Next week, all righties. So you, you may have to wait it out a little while. I found one I might I might take over from you. Who's that? available in our league? Rowdy. Hmm. Yes. Rowdy. He's not projected for 30 homers. He's only projected for 19. So you would be losing in, in projected homers. However, the Bat X likes his power going forward more than any other projection system because the barrel rate is great. The max EV is great. Like everything looks pretty good uh, from a stat cast thing. So you'd be betting on someone who has green all over his stat cast and is striking out 19% of the time. Like you'd be betting on someone who's doing the things you're supposed to do in small samples really well. Yeah. As opposed to the guy who has a 48% strikeout rate. I think you could justify that, that sort of maneuver where available. Uh, last player I want to throw in for this conversation since this became most of the episode is Justin Turner. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it happens sorry. sometimes. You know, it's it's there's a lot to to dig into with with these players, and I think with Justin Turner, Turner's 37, 37 and there's something that Jeff Zimmerman found, which is the projected bounce backs for players over thirty three years old are less reliable. And I think he was doing that on a season to season level, but I think that actually matters probably in season if it matters season to season, right? We haven't haven't had the research done for us but like you know as much as all the projections say yeah he can still hit 270 with you know 18 more 16 18 more home runs going forward and as much as the bad x sees something about what he's done 
that it likes to, to give him a little bit more than that. Uh, we have to agree that at 37, those those projections are not as reliable anymore. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the O-swing percentage right now uh, over time. It's hung up at a pretty high level for a while now, kind of going back to the second half of last season. That's a concern. It, it, this does look like it could be the beginning of the end for Justin Turner. And I, I think that means that means different things to different people. So I, I should be more clear. I think it means Justin Turner might fall into more of a part-time role. I think it means by July 1st, we're talking about him as a guy that plays three or four times a week instead of five or six times a week. Is there someone else that's going to emerge to fully take over that job? Mm, I don't think so. Miguel Vargas, if he mashes at AAA, could come up and become more of a threat. But I think as they're currently constructed, Turner's going to have some chances to figure this out. They'll give him some rope. I mean, Vargas is 22, and yeah, he's killing it again in uh, AAA. Uh, not quite as much as he did the last couple of uh, the last couple of stops. I don't. I th- that just doesn't seem to me how the Dodgers work, right? Oh, thank you, Justin Turner, for your service, <laughs> and uh, Miguel Vargas is now going to take your job. Well, I don't know. I mean, they. they Max exit velo lowest it's ever been for Turner so far. Barrel rate five percent lowest it's ever been. Mm-hmm. O swing percentage highest it's ever been. Yeah, so I mean none of it's the swing strike rate highest it's ever been. Strikeout rate highest it's ever been. So the the bounce back to what the numbers in this case point to a two seventy six three fifty three four sixty three line if you're using the bat X, but a two fifty six three thirty three four ten. If you're looking at zips, two pretty extreme projections. Yeah, and I don't even know why, because the bat, I, the, it must be a regression thing, because uh, in terms of like what, um, how much previous information each system uses or whatever, because the current uh, StatCast numbers for, for, for Turner are not good. No, uh, I, I'd be more inclined to expect the zips projection the rest of the way, given the age given these factors all being trending in the wrong direction for for Justin Turner. So hopefully that was uh, insightful and helpful in some way. If you have those players, if you're thinking about trading for those players, if you have guys in similar situations, you can kind of diagnose what might be happening and adjust expectations, consider selling low in some cases, consider going out and making a move in a few others. I want to talk about the roster shrink fallout here real quick. I think the simple question I have for you is when you're looking in in a deep dynasty league or AL only league or a league where there's almost no quality players available on the waiver wire. If Willie Calhoun gets his wish and he gets traded out of Texas to a team that has playing time available, Oakland, you know, whatever. Are you interested based on what you've seen? We had an email about Calhoun before this move happened that was pointing to some of his underlying numbers and his X stats not being nearly as bad as his actual surface numbers. So do you think do you think we should still be intrigued by Willie Calhoun if playing time opens up for him and he gets a fresh start somewhere else? I mean, I love the fact that he makes a lot of contact and sometimes it's powerful. I like that the max EV is is over 110, so you know, he's got some raw power. It's just a little bit concerning to me like if he he needs an opportunity. Well, you know who needs good outfielders? Texas Rangers. Right. He needs a, a really good hitting coach to work with him. Well, you know who has a really, really good hitting coach? Texas Rangers. So 
I don't know, man. There's something um, something I don't I don't like about this situation, but just the fact that he has a a great strikeout rate and has exhibited some some power in the past in some of those leagues it would be enough for me to pick him up. Yeah, I mean it's Grishamy. It's an eighteen point one percent O swing percentage, easily the best of his career. More walks than ever. Low K rate again. He's done that forever. And you look at some of the underlying numbers. The barrel rate is still just not there. Hard hit rates. Okay, it's weird because he's hitting good. fly balls, but yeah, he's not hitting the fly balls hard enough to be barrels, or is he popping those up? Like, what is going on there? It's a it's a strange approach. I think there. I think I would bet. I'd be willing to bet that there's something going on mechanically, and that maybe he works with somebody, you know, on his own time, and you know, there's been some conflict between what he hears from the organization and what he hears from his own coach. I mean, this is that. I'm not. I'm not putting this on Willie Calhoun because. Of anything that he, anything he's exhibited, I'm just saying that that happens a lot in baseball. Like that is, if you see someone uh, that's consistently struggling, sometimes it's because they're really, you know, sticking with their 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 guy that they have, their coach, their hitting coach, um, and not really listening to the organizational one. So maybe there's uh, different voices in in Willie Calhoun's head <laughs> uh, that are pulling him in different directions, and it's not working, but. Uh, I guess, you know, this is probably not a great moment uh, and this might be an awakening moment. Maybe the next place he goes, he he says, all right, you know, do what you will with me. Tell me what to do mechanically. I've got to do I got to clean something up because he has a great eye at the plate. He makes a lot of contact and that's something I would bet on. Yeah. And there are plenty of other teams that are giving players opportunities that I don't see as much in as I can see in Willie Calhoun. Best example Christian Bethencourt uh, getting DH and first base opportunities in Oakland doesn't make any sense to me. If, if, if they said, we're the team, we want Willie Calhoun, and we're just going to let him play, and we're going to let him hit. Okay, I understand. I, I understand why you would take that chance. There's still, to me, enough exciting things in that profile. Um, the other big fallout thing, Robinson Cano getting DFA'd, it doesn't have that much of a fantasy impact, so we'll probably put that more on the, the 3-0 rundown for, for Wednesday. But I think... Josh Lowe going down, I think it comes back to a question that I've I've kicked around on the Athletic Baseball show a few times, and it's it's that I I don't know what you learn as a hitter when you come up in the big leagues, you spend 20 games at the highest level, and you have issues like Josh Lowe did, 38% K rate, that's a problem. Uh, you talk about a guy that had a 78 WRC+, plus. many of the players we just talked about, more established guys, had worse stretches to start the season than Josh Lowe did, but he gets optioned down as uh, the roster shrunk after Sunday's games. How do you look at this and say, okay, how, like, when is he ready to come back? That's the, that's the thing I don't quite understand. I think the, the concern I would have had about Josh Lowe, and I took him a few places as a late flyer, was that he struck out 26.2% of the time last year at AAA. And AAA pitching last year was as bad as it's been in a long time because of all the injuries at the big league level were thinning out the quality of the pitching at the AAA level. Even in that context, you're talking about a guy who was 40% better than a league average hitter, showed power, showed patience, and he was amazing stealing bases too, 26 for 26, which isn't going to help you if you don't get on base at the big league level. But I, I just don't know what the Rays are hoping he can fix going back to Durham. Yeah, and the eye poured it over. Like, you know, he's he's not chasing balls at the major league level either. It may not show up in an amazing uh, walk rate, but 
he he showed an excellent eye. Um, he you know he hit a couple bottles hard. I I, uh, I I think this is more maybe the Rays saying, you know, we are looking at the standings and we need to put our best team on the field in the major league level more than it is about his future and what's what's necessarily best for his future because i do i do think that it would be best for him to struggle at the major league level this is we are talking about this is matt brash too matt brash's command is not great he just had a really bad outing now two outings in a row where he's walked too many people can't can't find the plate i don't know that he's for his development it's going to be better for him to go to the minor leagues because in the minor leagues He's not going to get that feedback as much. He can throw it hard towards the middle of the zone, and his natural command won't be any better. And then he'd come back up and not want to throw it to the heart of the zone because there's major league hitters on the plate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a, there's, I would rather that he stuck it out of the major league level and found places, in, you know, in the, in the zone that he can live. And that's basically what he's looking for. Um, and for Lowe, I think that. Over time, if you gave him, I think it's Lau. If you gave him more time, uh, or is it Brandon Lau and Josh Lowe? That's right. Yes. That's it. Okay. Think for Lowe, <laughs> if you just gave him more time, you would get you get some more hard hit balls, and you know he would he would settle in. But I think it came down to a choice between Josh Lowe and Brett Phillips, Harold Ramirez. But Ramirez is at least performing in this limited role. I think Brett Phillips seems like one of the most genuinely fun people in the big leagues. I. I feel mean anytime I suggest that Brett Phillips maybe shouldn't be on the Rays roster. <laughs> I know. But I I look at, at what he's done, and I know it was double-digit homers and steals last year in that kind of part-time role. He had a 38.7% K rate last year. He's close to 40% this year. He's swinging at pitches outside the zone more than ever. Josh Lowe, to me, is just a better player right now than Brett Phillips is. So I think you had to run the risk of possibly losing Phillips. Maybe they didn't want to do that right now with everyone churning their roster. Maybe they're going to do it in a couple of weeks and see if they can sneak him through later. It's 100% that. It's that Harold Ramirez and Brett Phillips don't have options. So if you are, if you would move on from either one of them, you would lose them. You'd right. have to, You'd have to DFA them. Look, they know what they're doing. They're smart. They manage their roster really well. So it's just giving themselves more time to get something back that they might be able to get for someone else, probably. It might have as much to do with that as it does... Or, or timing, like you said, like I know that Farhan Zaidi does this out here where he makes claims at certain times and he ends up DFAing the guy like three weeks later. But sometimes it's just that he hopes that he can keep them on his on his roster because he's he's gotten out of some finicky spot of a part of the rostering season. You know, what I mean, there are mm-hmm. times when you have to like like this moment is a, a finicky moment for everybody around the league because they had to get it down the major league roster down to 26. Um, so if you could claim someone now or not release someone like the Rays are, right, not release someone now, then maybe they could DFA Brett Phillips in, you know, a month and there's not as much roster upheaval around the league and not as many people would claim him and they get to keep him in their minor league organization. Maybe that's the thinking. I just think this goes back to a, a structural flaw that baseball still needs to figure out that the best players aren't necessarily on the roster. Mm-hmm. The mechanics of how the rosters work shouldn't lead to a situation where you're actively choosing the lesser of two players because you can have your cake and eat it too by sending one player down and not 
sending the other player down. Like that that doesn't feel right to me. So yeah. we'll see Josh Lowe again soon. He might play a lot. I think the problem for us as fantasy players, if you're in a mixed league, you probably can't hold him because it might be a few weeks and that's a zero and you need yeah. someone else to produce. So it's a, a drop now and try to pick him up again later if and when that situation opens up the, the way that we'd like it to. Got one mailbag question that I will squeeze in for this show. We'll roll the other ones over to Thursday, but it's a model versus results question from Frank. Frank's a, a new listener to the show and a subscriber based on uh, the work we do here. So thank you for, for subscribing to The Athletic Frank, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels dollar a month if you don't have a subscription right now. He's curious as to our opinion of Joe Ryan on the Twins. He had a great start to the season, but his stuff, location, and pitching plus information look underwhelming. Just Frank wants to know, is he using the data correctly? Is he missing something? Or is Joe Ryan a sell-high candidate? So I, I kick it over to you first. You know, what do you make of Joe Ryan and the gap between results so far in the big leagues and what the model tells us about his ability? There's 100% something that the model is missing uh, on Joe Ryan, which is his deception. And there's some deception in the model as it stands because we have things like seam shifted wake in the model and we have things uh, like release point in the model. So people that throw weird pitches from weird release points are, you know, are loved by this model. But Joe Ryan does something that we cannot capture because it has to do with the way his limbs come through when he pitches. His He leads with his elbow um, so that pitchers hitters can't see where the ball is and then the ball pops up. And then on top of that, uh, he does have some things uh, that the model does capture in terms of like his height, his release point and the way his fastball has ride on it. Um, you know, he does have some some good things going for him. Um, but uh, I would say that uh, just ride it just enjoy it. I think sometimes when there's a huge outlier uh, with the model, there's either something the model doesn't understand yet Um Eric Lauer comes to mind. Uh, you know, he doesn't he doesn't sh- show that well in the model. Um, and he's and, he, you know, the traditional metric that you would look for right now uh, that's useful otherwise is strikeouts minus walks and, and Lauer's killing it there. So um, I think if, if someone has a great strikeout minus walk rate and a poor pitching plus, then uh, feel free to, to, to ride it and enjoy it. Uh, if someone has a poor pitching plus and a poor strikeout minus walk rate, like a Cal Quantrill, uh, I would call them more of a sell high because that's those are the two most powerful metrics I have in my toolbox: strikeout minus walk rate and uh, and pitching plus. And Cal doesn't do well there. Yeah, Dakota Hudson is a name that popped for oh. me as someone who's just like dreadful in the model, getting great results. And I know it's actually so. There's there's a guy like Dakota Hudson, a guy that I watch all the time. That seems to be a bit of a a mystery Hauser. wrapped in a riddle. Adrian Hauser, yes. Like there's there's something Power about sinker. yeah. They they both have sub twenty percent K rates. They have walk rates above ten percent. Uh, Hudson gets more ground balls consistently, at least he has this year. But in the past, Adrian Hauser has been basically the same profile guy, and everyone bets against this profile, and it seems to work better than expected hey man i even uh picked up dakota hudson in one league for the two-star <laughs> week this week so i you know i'm not i'm not like i'm not like just uh, like i'm not just you know people i don't live in my spreadsheets you know like i don't it's not the only piece of information i don't just look at pitching plus and that's how i make decisions I, sometimes i do the, the relievers 
Um, you know, it's been very good to me this year with relievers. But uh, with starters, I think there's just more going on, how, the, how things fit together. I, you know, no model is going to nail it completely. I will say that a 53% ground ball rate and 18% strikeout rate and 11% walk weight for Hudson, something something's not working here. <laughs> like, something not, has to go yeah right like either he has to stop walking guys or start striking up more or my guys out or he's gonna he's gonna allow more uh he's gonna allow more balls in play like he's a 180 babbitt like he also doesn't throw hard adrian hauser at least throws kind of hard that's right he's a power sinker hudson's that's not hudson's power. averaging 92 on his fastball like that's so strange to me yeah and uh yeah, I just I would say that I use it as a guide. I use it as a, a good way to find uh, sleepers, and uh, you know when it's when it is completely uh, out of whack with what's happening in the results. Sometimes even I pick up Dakota Hudson for a two starter. But if he burns me, if he burns me, whoo! You never seen someone get dropped so fast. <laughs> Yeah, I've got him a couple places too. So I, <laughs> I'm I'm concerned. I'm concerned that I had to do it, but I'm chasing some volume a little bit, hoping to sneak in a couple of wins and, and maybe like seven Ks over two starts. That's about the best case scenario I think I can hope for from Dakota Hudson. But no, uh, you're not using the model incorrectly, Frank. Joe Ryan is a bit of a unicorn, perhaps, as we're, we're learning here. Curious to see what the next month or so brings, though, as teams get more and more looks at him, too, because I think the thing about deception is that it might not be as effective over time. It might be one of those things that has an immediate peak, an immediate value, and then the value sort of wanes. That's that's what I worry about, because my comp for him is Yusmer Petit. Yusmer Petit does the same thing where he leads with his elbow. If you can see on YouTube, he's like he leads with his elbow. You can't see the ball, and then it pops up at release. And uh, Yuzmer Petit had the worst third time through the order penalty I've ever seen. And immediately, his the teams that did make good advantage of, of him in his career were like, you will never, ever, ever see a lineup a third time again. <laughs> and so how, I look how much value Petit has had. I'm not saying that Ryan is not valuable. But, uh, you know, his viable, viability as a starter, especially one that might see a lineup a third time, is, is going to... That's what I'm watching over the next few months. Yep. Well, he's definitely one of the more intriguing pitchers in the pool right now, just based on the gap between what you see and what is actually happening in the results. If you got a question for a future episode, rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the best way to reach us. You can find us on Twitter. He's at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. You can also drop questions under this video on YouTube. Be sure to hit the like button and subscribe to the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. If you have a moment to leave us a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we would greatly appreciate that as well. We get to the pitcher side of the What's Wrong with Blank series coming up on Thursday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.